Get your Bible and open up with me to the book of Acts chapter 8 is where we're going to be this morning. Book of Acts chapter 8. I don't know about you, but man, I get fired up hearing the stories of these church planters and what God is doing literally all over the world because of you, because of your giving, because of your support for the Cross Creek Network, because of your giving to the Big Give. Literally, the gospel is ringing out from this church all over the world. Can we just celebrate that for just a minute and thank God for what he's doing through this Cross Creek Network. <clears throat> These guys are going to be coming in again. Clay, Clay said we've got guys from Las Vegas and from other places in the Northeast coming in this weekend uh, to be a part of the training for this whole week. So be in prayer for them. Uh, but, but here's the deal. We can get so fired up hearing the stories about how they're sharing the gospel and how they're making uh, Christ known over there that we forget that we need to be making Christ known where? Right here, right? Right where we live, where we learn, where we work, where we play, we need to be sharing the gospel just like they are. Back in 1993, 89%, get that number in your mind, 89% of evangelical Christians agreed with this statement. Every Christian has a responsibility to share their faith. 89% agreed with that. Uh, today, only 64% of evangelicals agree with that statement. Uh, what, what is the deal? You may say, that's terrible, but, and it is terrible, but here's the deal. I think it's a reflection of the fact that there are many Christians, like you and me, that will come to church on a Sunday, but we are not actively engaged in sharing our faith with people around us. Uh, for most of us, that's a difficult thing to do. I, I remember in my own life when I was very hesitant to know what to say or how to get into the conversation and so on. But today what we're going to look at is we're going to look at a man that God used to share the gospel right where he was and the impact that rang out because of it. And this is a very practical message, okay? This is a very practical sermon because I'm gonna give you some pointers, some practical things you can do to up your evangelistic effectiveness this week if you will put these things into practice, all right? We're in Acts chapter eight and we're gonna begin at verse 26. Uh, so let's just jump right on into the story. Uh, this is the word of God, amen? An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, get up and go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the desert road. So he got up and went, and there was an Ethiopian man, a eunuch, a high official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her entire treasury. And he had come to worship in Jerusalem and was sitting in a chariot on his way home, reading the prophet Isaiah aloud. Now stop right here for just a second. We're immediately introduced in these couple of verses to two people, both Philip and a man from Ethiopia. All right, so let's, let's kind of dive into that for a minute. Who are these two people? Well, first let's look at Philip. Uh, who is this guy, Philip? There was a man named Philip that was one of the 12 apostles, but that's not this guy, right? That's not him. This is a man that was often known as Philip the Evangelist. 
We first find Philip in Acts chapter 6 when he is a deacon in the church in Jerusalem. And he was actually helping serve meals to widows and caring for the daily needs of that church. Uh, after a great persecution came on the church of Jerusalem, a lot of those leaders were flushed out of the city of Jerusalem and into the surrounding areas like Judea and Samaria. And Philip was one of those men who filled with the Holy Spirit began to preach the gospel and tell people about Jesus in Samaria. And there the, uh, the gospel was effective and people started giving their lives to Christ and, and even miracles were happening to corroborate uh, his story about Jesus. So here is Philip. He's a part of this awakening that's happening in Samaria. And then the angel of the Lord, it says, comes to him and tells him to go to a desert road between Jerusalem and Gaza. Now, no doubt you've heard about Gaza a lot over the last couple of weeks. The ancient Gaza is where Gaza still is today. So you can see where he was up in Samaria and then he moved down and then from Jerusalem to Gaza, somewhere along this desert road, that's where the Lord uh, led uh, Philip. In fact, it's a very deserted road. You can look at, see what it, that road looks like today. Very barren, very unpopulated but here's the thing I love about Philip. When Philip got the word, however that came to him, that he was to go, I love what it says about verse 27. He got up and went. All right? Don't you love that? He just did it. No excuses. No, uh, well, God, could you play this out a little bit more? What exactly am I going to do there? How long is it going to take? Uh, how much should I pack? You know, none of the, no, no questions, no delays. He just went. He was... A willing witness. In fact, I want you to circle that name Philip and in the margin of your Bible, I want you to write the two words, willing witness. Philip was a willing witness. Jesus said in, in Acts 1.8, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the earth. And that's exactly what Philip was. He was a witness to Jesus. He was a willing witness to Jesus. Now listen, I, I just have to, I, I've got to stop here and make this application. God doesn't always use the prettiest people. God doesn't always use the smartest people. He doesn't often use the most successful people. But what he uses are willing people. People that are just simply willing to say, Lord, I, I, I'm here, Lord. If you're looking for a man, if you're looking for a woman, if you're looking for somebody to use God, I'm willing whatever you want me to do. That's what God's looking for in you. Are you willing to be a witness for Jesus as he brings people across your path? So here's Philip. He is a willing witness, all right? And then we have this Ethiopian. Now, we don't know really a lot about him. We don't even know his name. His name is not mentioned here. We know a couple things about him. Number one, he was from Ethiopia. And ancient Ethiopia was really the, the region of Cush, which is located just south of Egypt in the modern-day Sudan area. So we know that he was probably from this area. He was a eunuch. That is, that he was emasculated either at birth or by choice. Many times, men that were put in charge of prominent women uh, were, were made as eunuchs uh, for, for obvious reasons. Uh, but, but what we also know is that he was an official. 
He was an official of Candace of Ethiopia. In fact, uh, this is her profile uh, pic, you know, for her Instagram page. And, and uh, Candace is not a, 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 a prominent name or a, a personal name. It's really more of a title, much like Pharaoh in Egypt. Candace was what they called the queen of the Ethiopians. Apparently, the king of Ethiopia thought himself to be a god. And if he's a god, he's too much above to do any work. And so, all the work went to his wife, uh, the queen. And so, she was the one calling the shots in Ethiopia. And here was this man. He was working under the administration of Candace of Ethiopia. And he had a very specific role. He was actually the secretary of the treasury. Very prominent man, very prominent diplomat. If he was traveling to Jerusalem today, he would probably be traveling in a long line of limousines. Very prominent, very successful, very powerful man. We know a lot about him, but we also know one more thing about him, and that is that he was searching. He had made the long journey from Ethiopia to Jerusalem, probably about a four-month round trip just to go to Jerusalem, just to seek God. He was a searching soul. He was a seeking soul. In fact, you can write that in the margin of your Bible, right? Circle the Ethiopian and then put out in the margin, seeking soul. That's really what he was. He was seeking the Lord. And yet when he got to Jerusalem, he was kept out. When he got to Jerusalem, he made all that long trip, and yet he could not come into the presence and worship God because, number one, he was a Gentile. Number two, he was a eunuch, and that prohibited him from drawing close to where they offered up the sacrifices. He was kept out. So think about that. This man has made all this long trip, seeking after God, wanting to hear from God. Now he's on the way back home, and he's longing. He's spiritually hungry. He's searching he even has a copy of the, of the prophet Isaiah and he's reading. Where did he get that? I don't know. I know he was a prominent man. He had a lot of money, probably money talks. And he was able to get a scroll. But here he is. He's opening up the scroll. He's reading it out loud. He is a searching soul. He had so many questions and no one to answer his questions. Listen, there are a lot of people like that today. You may be like that today. You're really here and you're searching. And maybe you felt pushed out by other churches. Man, if I go to church, they're, they're not going to accept me. If I go to church, they're not going to, they're going to, not going to like me. They're not going to, they're not going to welcome me in. Maybe you look at this Bible and you go, man, how, how do you even start to understand all the stuff in this book? It just seems so overwhelming. And yet your soul is longing for God. That's what this man was like. He was seeking the Lord. He was a seeking soul. Now, here's what I want you to see here. God has Philip, this willing witness, and he has this Ethiopian who is a seeking soul, and he's bringing these two together in an encounter that is going to change this one man's life forever. He is bringing these two together. This is not an accident. 
God does this all the time. God regularly will take someone who's seeking God, just show me who you are. God, I want to know you. And he'll bring right across his path someone who is a willing witness or flip it around. God, here's a willing witness. God, I just want to share what you've done in my life. And he'll bring right across your path someone who's truly seeking after God. A little over a year ago, I got a text from a guy I really didn't know. He said, I, I need to meet with you. I said, okay, well, maybe next week we set up a point. No, not, not, next, not next week, right away. I got to meet right away. This was like on a Friday night. I'm like, okay, how about tomorrow morning, 7 a.m.? All right, I'll be there, 7 a.m. So we set up a breakfast, 7 a.m., and we sat down, got to know each other a few minutes. He was obviously in a crisis. And over the course of that conversation, I was able to talk to him about Christ. And that conversation was a pivot moment in this man's life where he gave his life to Christ and became a new person. Now, was that an accident? Was that just kind of, who'd have thought? You know, that kind of, no, no, no. No, God was bringing this together. This is, this is not by accident. This is divine appointment. This is divine appointment. And that's what God wants to do in your life. You go, yeah, you're a pastor. No, no, no. This is for everybody. Right? If you're like, God, I'm willing, I'm willing, then God is going to bring across your path someone who's seeking, and God is great at creating divine appointments where you have an opportunity to share what Jesus has done for you. All right, so what do we learn? What do we learn from Philip about how to be more effective in sharing our faith? Well, let me give you a couple of thoughts. Write this down. First thing I want you to write down is this open your eyes. Open your eyes your eyes. Many times we go through our day and we're so fixated on our phone, <laughs> or we're so fixated on our work, or we're fixated on the things we got to do today, or the busyness of our schedule, that we don't stop to open our eyes to see who God is bringing into our life. Listen, God may bring a, be bringing a seeking soul across your path, and you may not even see him. That's why Jesus said in John uh, chapter 4 verse 35, he said, open your eyes and look at the fields because they are ready for harvest. So let me ask you something. Who is it that God is bringing across your path? Who is it right now? Just who, who's the spirit of God putting on your mind right now? Who's he bringing to your mind? Maybe somebody at work, maybe a neighbor, maybe an old, old uh, classmate that now you've, you're talking to, maybe somebody you've interacted with online. Who is it that God is bringing across your path? Because God is orchestrating a divine appointment for you. And if God gives you someone in your mind, write it down, okay? God is working with them. We have to open our eyes. God, where are you at work? God, I mean, how cool would it be to get up in the morning and say, Lord, I'm open and I'm ready. God, bring somebody across my path. I'm ready and I'm willing. I've got to open our eyes. Second thing I want you to write down is this, take risk. Take risk. Uh, Gregory Kokel wrote a book called Tactics a couple of years ago. It's a great book, great resource on how to share your faith. But what we see here in this story is that Philip has some tactics. And they look a little risky, uh, but they're very effective in, in helping you share your faith in Jesus. And so let's look at some of those tactics. Look at verse 29. He said, the spirit told Philip, go and join that chariot. And when Philip ran up to it, he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? Well, how can I, he said, unless someone guides me. 
So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the scripture passage he was reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb is silent before its shearers, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him, and who will describe his generation? For his life was taken from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, I ask you, who is the prophet saying this about, himself or someone else? And Philip proceeded to tell him the good news about Jesus, beginning with the scriptures. Now right here, Philip has some tactics that you and I can use on a regular basis that will really help you be more effective in sharing your faith. I'm going to give you four of them tactics very quickly. So jot this down. This is all under the heading of taking risks. Number one is show up. Show up. God told Philip to go to this deserted place and he showed up. Listen, you just have to show up eager and ready for God to be at work and to see where God is at work. Opening your eyes, we've already said that. 90% of success is just showing up. You've heard that phrase before, right? I gotta just show up. That means that when I'm at the office, I'm lingering at the office to see, actually see who's around me, to notice what's going on around me. I have to linger at school. I have to linger at the, uh, at the gym. Not just in with my earbuds and then out the door and don't make any eye contact. I got to pull the earbuds out. I got to look up, look around. I have to be present. I know this sounds very elementary, but I'm just saying we are so fixated inwardly that unless we take the earbuds out and lift our heads up and look around and be present in the moment to really show up in the moment, God can never use us. So we have to show up. Here's another one. We got to open up. Philip started the conversation. Notice Philip started the conversation. He ran up and uh, he, he started the conversation. Now for some of you, you love this, right? You love starting conversations with strangers. You could talk to a fence post and build a deep relationship with it, all right? You know who you are. You're, you're, you're probably salespeople that are just good at this kind of thing. You just love it. And then there are others of you that would be rather drugged through sharp glass before you had to talk to a stranger, right? You're like, oh, it's just not my thing. You know, I wouldn't know what to say. But here's the deal. You have to not only show up, you have to open up. You have to start talking. Now, it doesn't have to be anything deep or theological. It can just be, you know, how's the weather? You know, or what, what, about, the, what about the rangers? Woo, you know, or what, well, you know, just start with anything that you're talking. Keep it very casual, but beginning the conversation is critical. How are you going to have a spiritual conversation if you're not talking? So you have to start, you have to open up. Now, I'm going to show up, but I've got to open up and start a conversation. Listen, most people, listen to me, most people live in isolation. They get in their car and they shut, shut the doors and they turn on, you know, their music. They get to work, they go to their cubicle and they're in front of a screen. They, they order, uh, order their food online and have it door dashed to them. They go to the grocery store and they do the self-checkout. They go back home and they pull their car in and, and close the garage door and they never interact with anybody. And when you just open up your mouth and say, hey, how you doing? What a great day. And you start to have a general conversation. Most people will thank you for it. They're longing to know, does anybody care about me? 
So I got to show up. This is your tactics now that take a risk. I got to show up. I got to open up. And then you got to stir things up, all right? Stir it up. That is with questions. First thing Philip does as he comes next to this Ethiopian leader is he asks him a question. Do you know what you're reading? It's a very common question. It wasn't, it wasn't very... Uh, it wasn't very intrusive. It wasn't weird. It was just like, do you know what you're reading? And he immediately starts this spiritual conversation. Do you know what you're reading? Many times I will ask people just general questions. Hey, man, you live around here. How long have you been in the area? You know, what do you do for a living? And we'll start talking back and forth. Uh, sometimes I'll, I'll probe a little bit deeper. I'll say, man, what, you know, maybe somebody says, yeah, I'm an accountant. I go, man, I bet it's really tough around tax season, man. I've heard you guys, man, you're burn, burning the midnight oil, you know, all the time. You go, yeah, it's really tough, you know. How do you get through that? Or I'll talk to a guy, yeah, I'm a truck driver. Man, I bet it's really hard, you know, on the road all the time and away from family and friends. How do you deal with that? Or I'll talk to somebody, I'm a business leader. Man, I, you know, leadership is so challenging in these turbulent times. How do you deal with that? I mean, so, I, I get, so, I'm giving you my, my tricks here now. I, I'm telling you, this is so good because I just say, I bet it's hard, whatever they're dealing with. How do you deal with that? And you're, I'm always shocked how people open up. They go, well, I don't know. You know, I just do the best I can, you know. Or, and, I, and I usually follow up with, you know, I'm just so glad I got a church that prays for me and helps me and... Do you have any, anybody that does that for you? Now, that's not weird. That's not awkward. It's so natural. And what I've found is the more I ask questions, people ask questions to me, well, what about you? What, what do you deal with? And, and, and it gives me an opportunity to do the third thing or the fourth thing, which is speak up. After I've started up with questions, I got to speak up. Here's Philip. He's, he's ready and willing to speak up. He tells the Ethiopian about what he's reading, which is a passage out of Isaiah 53 about Jesus. He says, man, let me tell you who this is about. And, and he says, he goes on to preach to him Jesus. Now, this is, of course, a summary statement. We're not told exactly word for word what Philip said. I'm sure that at some point, Philip told him the gospel about Christ but I'm also sure that at some point, Philip probably told him how he became a follower of Jesus as well. And listen, you can do the same thing. Once you are having conversations, you're asking questions, you can always share what's happened in your life. Hey, man, I grew up this way, but man, I, I, I got to this point. I gave my life to Jesus. And man, I tell you what, he's made a huge difference in my life. You can share your story and you can share at least one verse that points people to Jesus. John 3, 16. Hey, that's a great one. Well, you know, my favorite verse is God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Or, man, one of my favorite verses is Romans 6, 23, for the, uh, for, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. I mean, you could, you could be ready with your story and one verse, and in that moment, you're having a spiritual conversation with somebody else. It's just that simple. These are tactics that Philip used that you can use uh, as well. It's risky. Yeah, I get it, but it's worth it. In fact, there was a, uh, a guy in our church that was on a business trip. He was in a, in a hotel. He got up in the morning, went down to the lobby, and was reading his Bible. And while he was reading his Bible, he noticed that there was something going on at the front desk. The lady that was at the front desk was obviously upset about something. And he felt the Spirit of God prompting him to go talk to this lady. And of course, he's having all this inner dialogue. Well, Lord, I don't, I don't know, sure. I wouldn't know what to say or how to get. But he said, no, I got to go. He said, I was learning 
to obey the Spirit's prompting right away. So he said, I went up to her and I talked for just a minute. And he said, uh, he told her about this Morning Thrive video that his church does, that does a two minute video. And he said, I want you to watch this. And he actually played the Morning Thrive on his phone, right? So here she is watching the Morning Thrive on, on her phone. And, and it related to something she was dealing with. And she said right there, she said, I just got goosebumps all over that God brought you into my life to show me this. And he said, we had this wonderful spiritual conversation. After he got back from the business trip, he wrote me an email to tell me about this experience. And he wrote this at the end of his email. He said, when I obey God and interact with someone, they are so gracious and thankful. Thankful way beyond what I've just done. Seems strange, but I can only think that the Holy Spirit must be doing something in their heart way beyond what I can see. That's exactly right. The Holy Spirit's at work. If you are willing to open your eyes, if you're willing to take the risk, start the conversations, ask intriguing questions, be ready and willing to speak up and share what Jesus has done in your life, you never know what God's doing in that person. Remember, he's bringing you across the path of this person for a reason. The third thing, that we learned from Philip. Number one is, you know, you gotta just, uh, you've gotta open up, you've gotta open your eyes, you gotta take risks. Third thing is, trust God to do the work. Trust God to do the work. Look at verse 36. As they were traveling down the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, there's water. What would keep me from being baptized? So he ordered the chariot to stop and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him. It's a good thing to be reminded that it's not your job to save anybody. Okay, you can't save anybody. That, God does that. God does the saving. It's just your job to share. Just your job to share what Jesus has done for you. But when you are faithful in doing it, when you open up your eyes, when you're willing to take these risks, God is going to do work. Even if you walk away and go, man, that didn't go anywhere. That was a total bust. You don't know that was a total bust. That just may be one link in the chain that gets that person to Christ. I've had many occasions, I thank the Lord that he's done this for me, that I thought I totally wiped out with the conversation. Only to find out years later, they sent me an email and said, remember when you came to my house and you said such and such? Well, let me tell you what God's done since then. See, we don't know. We're just a part of what God's doing. Sometimes we're in the middle of the chain, right? We're just a link in the middle, just a step toward the Lord. Sometimes we get to be at the end, but we get to lead them to Christ. Either way, God is using you if you're willing. And here was God at work with this Ethiopian eunuch. His heart was open to the Lord. And he says, hey, man, here's some water. Hold up. Brings the whole entourage to a stop. Man, why can't I be baptized right now? And publicly profess my faith in Jesus. And he said that he and Philip went down into the water and he was baptized. And this really underscores the importance of baptism. Let me, let me just say this. It's very important. Baptism does not save you. It is not a saving act, all right? Our salvation is rooted in what Jesus has done, not in what we do. However, baptism is your public demonstration, your public profession of your faith in Jesus. It's the way you let everybody know that you're a Christian, a follower of Christ. And there are three things about this baptism that are important to note. Number one, it was by immersion. That is that they went down, notice verse 38, they went down into the water. Uh, verse 39, they came up out of the water. 
all right? Uh, it was by immersion. Now, some people, well, wait, wait a minute. They, maybe they went down in the water and then they threw water on top of his head and then they came up out of the water. Yeah, but the, but the problem is the word baptizo is the word used there and the word which is translated baptism or baptize. The word baptizo means to immerse, to submerge, to dip, to dunk, to put under. That's what the word means. And so here they go down in the water, he submerged him and brought him up. It's a baptism by immersion. Another thing is that it's a baptism after his conversion. He had given his life to Christ. In verse 37, he says, I believe that Jesus is the Lord. So here he is, he's already given his life to Christ. Now he's baptized. You're not baptized before you give your life to Christ. You're baptized after you give your life to Christ. And number three, it's a testimony of his newfound faith in Jesus. See, in your baptism, you picture the gospel, Christ, uh, death, burial, and resurrection. In your baptism, you are, you are demonstrating your own faith that you have died to your old life, and you're now a new person in Christ. It's also a statement of your hope that even though they put your body in the ground one day, you're not going to stay in the ground, but you're going to be raised again at the return of Jesus Christ. So, so it, there's a lot in our baptism that states what we believe about Jesus. That's why baptism is important. Now let me ask you, have you been baptized like that? If you think about your own experience, were you baptized by immersion? Were you baptized after your conversion? Were you baptized as a statement of your faith and trust in Jesus? And if you're like, well, I'm not so sure, well, you're in luck because next Sunday we're baptizing, all right? Next Sunday, this is your opportunity. You know, uh, I told you about Ryan, right? We went to breakfast and I got to share the gospel with Ryan. Well, we started doing a study through the gospel of John. Then we started getting into the growth study. And not too long after his conversion, he was like, man, I need to get baptized. I'm like, good, we can take care of that for you. And so right here in our church, we baptized uh, Ryan and in fact, if you uh, want to see his picture of his baptism, it's actually the banner that's out in the front of the church, all right? There's Ryan, that's his picture. But here's the thing I love about it. Man, he wanted to be baptized. He was eager. This Ethiopian, man, he was changed. He wanted to be baptized and publicly let people know of his faith in Christ. Listen, are you eager and willing to be baptized? Or are you like, well, you know, I don't know about that. No, no, no. Man, if you haven't been baptized, let's get it done Sunday and let the whole church ring out with celebration to God of what he's done in your own life. You just go in the lobby. There's a table already set up. You can sign up today and be baptized. So here he is, Philip, the willing witness. He's meeting this seeking soul. We learn from him, open your eyes. We learn from him, take risk. We learn from him that God will do the work. But that's not all. Look at verse 39. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch did not see him any longer, but went on his way rejoicing. And Philip appeared in Azotus. And he was traveling and preaching the gospel in all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Now, it says here that, and they came up out of the water, Philip uh, was carried away. Or the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. 
Uh, what does that mean? You know, some people think it was like uh, transported, boop, you know, or I don't know, some kind of weird, you know, some kind of weird thing going on there where he's like disappeared and then reappeared somewhere. I, I really don't think that's what he means. I just think that the Holy Spirit's like, okay, you finished your job. Now we got another assignment for you. And so he started heading north. Azotus was immediately north of there along the Mediterranean Sea and he kept preaching all the way up those little villages till he got all the way up to the way northern city of Caesarea. God moved him on to his next assignment because he was faithful where he was. But notice what it says here about this Ethiopian. It says that the Ethiopian uh, went on his way rejoicing. This Ethiopian went on his way rejoicing. Whatever happened to this Ethiopian? Uh, we're not sure exactly. The Bible doesn't tell us about where he went or what happened to him. But the early church father Irenaeus uh, wrote about him. He said that this Ethiopian was the first person to take the gospel to the continent of Africa. The first person to ever take the gospel to Africa was this man. Now you think about that. What God started in Acts chapter 8 is still continuing today. It's still happening today. Pastor Henry is here with his two sons that are working in Burkina Faso. I want you to see this picture. Pastor Henry is here sharing the gospel with children in the area of Burkina Faso. Over the Christmas season, he will pack out buildings just like this, having children hearing the gospel for the first time and praying to receive Christ. Over 5,600 kids came to faith last year. Over 5,600 he said, he said, actually, I know it's 56, but beyond that, I know there's more than that, but it just got more than we could possibly handle. Do you know who helped fund those events? You did. Through your giving, through your willingness to give, your pouring fuel on the fire that has continued, that started with this man, this Ethiopian, but now is spreading across the continent of Africa, and that's why we're doing this big give. Next Sunday is Big Give Sunday. And why do I just encourage you to give generously and faithfully? Why? It's not to benefit us, it's for kingdom growth. Because what God started in Acts chapter 8 is continuing still today. This is not like Acts is over and now we're... No, no. Acts is continuing through you right now. Through these church planters, God is using them to advance the gospel. And through the big give, let me tell you what's going to happen. We're going to train up church planters. Through your big give, we're going to build church buildings where there are no churches. In villages where they have no church. We're going to actually fund evangelistic outreaches like this Christmas outreach that will see thousands of people come to faith in Jesus Christ. Through your giving, through this big give, we're going to establish hubs in several places across Africa that are training centers for church planters. And we're going to take care of our church planters and their families and care for them in desperate times. Also, a portion of your big give will go to relief effort in Israel. So I just just implore you as you give to the big give you're just pouring oil pouring gas pouring fuel on the fire of the gospel that is already sweeping across that continent we get to be a part of what God's doing right now just like Philip was a part of it this is our time this is our moment to be a part of what God's doing in that country
So will you join us? Would you bow your heads with me? We're about to take communion together. But I want you to search your own heart. What's the Spirit of God saying to you? Maybe God's bringing a seeking soul across your path. Would you pray for him now? Pray that God would give you an opportunity to strike up a conversation with him this week. Maybe you're here today and you don't know Christ. Then right now, right where you are, you can pray to God, say, Lord, forgive me of my sin. I believe Jesus died on a cross for me and rose again. I turn from my sin to follow Jesus. Lord, forgive me. Lord, make me clean. That Ethiopian was reading from Isaiah 53 about Jesus. And this is what he was reading. He was pierced because of our rebellion. He was crushed because of our iniquities. The punishment for our peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. We all went astray like sheep. We all have turned to our own way, but the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of all of us. That's why Jesus came. All your, all your sin placed on the back of Jesus. All that you've done wrong placed on him. And he suffered and died in your place to pay in full the payment for your sin so that you could be right with God.